to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. Welcome to this episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast. I am your host, Scott Cowan. In this episode, we're going to have a conversation with Carla Kelly. Carla is a Washington State native who grew up in Tacoma, attended Evergreen State College, and she has had a career in ornithology since 2017. I don't speak very well sometimes, and ornithology is a confusing word, but Carla studies birds. That's what she does. She studies birds at Joint Base Lewis-McChord primarily. So how's that? So she's an avid birder, and her pursuit of birds takes her all across the state. And today we're going to talk birds and bird watching. So without further ado, we're just going to let uh, Carla get started and tell us about birding in the Northwest. All right, from the top. Why don't you tell us a little bit about birding in Washington state? I would love to. Um, So the birds in the Pacific Northwest aren't necessarily the most diverse, um, especially when you consider places like Texas or Florida. Um, Just because the further you get away from the equator, the less biodiversity you tend to have. Um, But that being said, Washington obviously has this really unique landscape And especially like a really unique um, geological geological history. (laughs) I don't do rocks. Um, (laughs) um, And so so we have a lot that's kind of unique to the area. Um, And then I think also in relation to some other parts of the country, we have this kind of diversity of landscapes. Um, So there's like, you know, we have grasslands, we have forests, we have alpine, we have the coast, which is huge. Um, that's like a huge selling point for Washington birding. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, maybe what we lack in diversity, we make up for in open spaces. And, um, I I think we have some of the best birds. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to come back and put you on the spot for that later. (laughs) I I will tell you, if you don't do rocks, have you ever listened to uh, Nick Zentner? Nick no. is a professor at Central Washington University. Does his uh, Nick on the Rocks, and he's he's amazing. Um, he was one of our early guests, and I, I'm kind of you know, I, I you know I drive around the state a lot, and you know, okay, that rocks, you know, I'm like, oh, that looks different here, but I've never really been scientific about it. He has this way of explaining rocks in both an incredibly informative and entertaining way so if you're looking to learn more about rocks there you go follow nick center you'll like it okay oh yeah that sounds really interesting so you grew up in tacoma and you went to evergreen mm-hmm. and for those of you that don't know it's evergreen state university in college Olympic. college no it's isn't it a university? technically just- technically it's a university because they do offer graduate programs but they're okay. still called a college which okay well I think it's important because it really encapsulates the vibe. Okay. Yes, it (laughs) it does. Evergreen does have its own unique vibe. Why? So when you went to Evergreen, why did you choose Evergreen and how did you end up getting into birds? Um, So I wouldn't say I chose Evergreen so much as Evergreen chose me, um, which I think a lot of people who went to Evergreen can probably relate Um, basically I applied for, got accepted to, got good scholarships for a private university in Oregon. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and I wanted to study psychology and Spanish language. But even with all of the scholarships and financial aid, I ended up coming up really short because tuition was crazy expensive. Um, out of state, it's brutal. Out, well, it didn't even matter that it was out of state because it's a private, it was a private university. Um, it was just really expensive. It was like $50,000 for the year okay. or something outrageous. Mm-hmm. And so um, that just kind of shook me. Um freaked out a little bit because I got a bill for $3,000. And so I backed out. Um, and then I was just kind of freaking out. And then my aunt had gone to Evergreen and my dad and I were kind of talking and he was like, well, why don't, why don't you just go to Evergreen? It's 30, 30 miles away. Just go to Evergreen. And they have a really late enrollment date. So I applied, got in. Um, yeah. And then that kind of started that. Um, I applied pretty late. And so the only class that I could get into was this, like, it was a year long program, which is a lot at Evergreen. Um, and it was a deadly combination of biology, chemistry, and physics. Um, and it was terrible. Yeah. I hated it. Sorry if any of those professors ever hear this, I think they know. (laughs) Um, it was just super hard. I wanted to drop out. It was my first college course and it was just the hardest thing I could have done to myself. Um, but for some reason I left that experience really enjoying biology and deciding that instead of doing the psychology and Spanish language, I was just going to go and be a scientist. Um, and then at that point, um, I just needed biology credits. Um, and I wanted to take something that was easier than what I had just done. So I signed up for an ornithology class thinking that it would just be like kind of a fun, neat way to spend a quarter. So what was, if, do you remember, what was that course called? What was it, you know, did they have a catchy title for it or was it biology 210 or something? I mean, what was the, yeah, every, every class at Evergreen has a catchy title. Um, that one wasn't as, as fun, but that one was, um, Introduction to Natural Sciences. Okay, that's pretty pretty tame. Okay. Yeah, I would say it was less an introduction and more of like a time warp. It's a deep dive. I don't know. I mean, okay. there was nothing introductory about it. Okay. But that kind of sparked this fascination with birds. Yes. Yeah, yeah okay. and my biology professor was a birder. So sometimes he would start the class with like fun bird anecdotes, which I didn't really appreciate at the time because I wasn't like fully submerged in birds yet. But, you know, maybe that was (laughs) maybe it was in my psyche. (laughs) Okay, so give us an example of a fun bird antidote. Oh, okay. So one day he came in with a picture of a northern shrike um, and they're they're fun, super charming they have a very cute habit, um, maybe not habit, a strategy where they, um, their prey is like small rodents, mice and voles and stuff, but they're small birds. They're not big and strong like a hawk or an eagle. And so they don't have the neck muscles or like the strength to really kill things. <laughs> so they will go. They will. <laughs> Should I put a disclaimer on this? Uh, you're okay. We're good. We're, we're okay. <laughs> okay. So if you have children, okay. Cover <laughs> maybe this is earmuff time. Okay. Um, 
they go out, they find a small rodent, they pick it up, they take it to like a barbed wire fence, for example, and they will spike it onto the, <laughs> onto the barbed wire to kill it. And so they will impale their prey, and then you'll see this barbed wire fence that just has a bunch of dead animals on it. And so he he had pictures of this, and he explained it to us, and that's how we started our morning lecture. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> oh all right. So then we thought birding was, might be boring. No, they impale their prey. Okay. All right. So if that wouldn't have gotten me into birding, I don't know what would have. That's just so medieval. Okay. Yeah, we have them too. You can see them. Okay. <laughs> so you, you took some other courses at Evergreen, obviously. You just didn't, you know, you, four-year school and you're now working in as a scientist, mm-hmm. correct? Yes. Right. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what your day job is? How's that? Um, at the end of my evergreen experience, I had a lot of marine bio. So I was kind of like in this rut where I only had marine biology experience. Um, so I did an unpaid internship where I worked with fish. Um, and then I also worked with this bird called a pigeon guillemot, which eats the fish And these are the small forage fish that the salmon also eat. And so by watching these birds, we can get a sense of how the little fish are doing. And then that can kind of help us figure out how the bigger fish are doing. So that's kind of the big scope of why we care about birds. Um, In a larger sense, we care about birds because they're neat. But that's kind of the grander ecological implication. Um, And then... I just kind of was bartender for a while, um, as you do when you're in your 20s <laughs> and don't know what you're doing with your life. And you're a recent college grad. <laughs> yeah. It, it, in, a, in a previous take, it was I made fun of Evergreen, but really, frankly, it's every college. <laughs> when, you're, yeah. when you're first starting out your career, you're like, yeah, I got to make some money. Yeah. Bar- bartending, chauffeuring, whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, and it's a, it's a good job. It's like a, you know, it's a respectable career. It's a great thing to do. Um, you honestly, I would be making more money if I stuck with that, (laughs) but I don't do that. If I wanted money, I wouldn't be in this field. Um, so then I, after doing that for a while, I got a position, um, kind of where I am now, different organization, um, but same people that I work with now. And now I'm working for a nonprofit called Eco Studies Institute, um, and we specialize in monitoring species in prairie landscapes, primarily on Joint Base Loose McCord. Um, and then we also do some like uh, estuary monitoring up in the North Sound to um, look at estuary restoration. So, question: What's this nonprofit's? goal why are why are you guys doing this what's what what's being done with the data that you're gathering oh that's always the question isn't it (laughs) um yeah that's a really good question we definitely have reasons for that um i would say that's above my that's above my pay grade (laughs) no 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 i don't i just don't want to say anything like too official because I guess I, I don't always know, but basically 
and it's funny that you should say this because we're like kind of a, a new branch of this old nonprofit. And so we're kind of going through the situation where we're like kind of trying to dial in our mission statement. And like, we're really asking ourselves right now, why are we doing this? But like broadly, we're interested in conserving these essentially uh, imperiled habitats. Um, and then obviously anything that lives in those imperiled habitats are also going to be imperiled. And we don't want these places to just kind of blink out because they're, they're unique and they're valuable. And it's part of what makes our state great and unique in what it is. Okay. So you're watching on J, uh, JBLM and in a previous non-recorded conversation, you mentioned that that was kind of considered prairie. Yeah. So, um, I guess to go back to my specialty of geology, um, Mount Rainier used to be this huge glacial field. Um, and then over so much time, I don't know exactly how many, how much time, how many times, but, um, a long time, I think, um, the glaciers receded, and pulled kind of like opened up the landscape while they went along. Um, and then because of also where we're situated between the Olympics, the black Hills and the cascades, we kind of have this like drier environment because of the rain shadows. Um, and so it created kind of this drier open prairie landscape. And then the Nisqually people, and then the other tribes in the area, um, for, 10,000 years plus we're taking care of the land and burning it to keep it open because it's easier to hunt in open land and it's easier to farm. And they relied on a lot of the like camas and other plants that the prairies foster. Um, and so like I five, the I five corridor kind of like up here through Southwest Washington, you can imagine kind of it's prairie. And then you have, you know, you have these like remnant place names like Hawks Prairie and, you know, you have all these like prairie names mm -hmm. mixed in and you're kind of like, well, where'd that come from? Um, and a lot of it is because it used to be prairie. Um, so it used to be really expansive. There's some maps out, out there um, on Google Scholar that you can sometimes find. Some are better than others, but it used to be this huge, huge amount. And now it's like 90% of those prairie habitats have been lost and degraded. And now what's left is on joint base loose McCord almost exclusively. And why is that? Why is that left on joint base loose McCord? Um, well, mostly because it's really advantageous to the military. Um, they have airfields obviously, and it's going to be a lot easier to build an airfield where there's not trees. Um, they do like paratrooper training where people are jumping out of planes and helicopters. And so they need huge open spaces to do that because you don't want these people getting stuck in trees, which they definitely, I definitely have seen plenty of parachutes strung up in tall trees. So it, it happens. Um, and then, um, in the artillery impact area on base, they actually, because they're detonating, so many crazy things like bombs and they kind of just like have leftover ammunition and stuff out there. Um, it sets these, these fires in the artillery impact area. So because of this fire 
constantly happening. It keeps the landscape really open. And then we, we actually have like all of the main, um, federally listed endangered species in the artillery impact area, because it's kind of the most like, although there's a lot of bombing there, it's relatively like untouched. Okay. And so those, those on the, on the list are prairie animals that that's their, that's their natural habitat is an more of an open plain prairie type of environment versus, uh, lots of trees in a forest. Yeah. And then, so what happens if you don't have fires in a prairie is that you have like the forested edges, um, you know, you have all of these conifers around there and then they start to encroach. And so they'll, where you had this wide open prairie, you'll start to get it filled in and you'll start to get a forest where there used to be a prairie if you're not actively managing to keep that open because the area kind of like co-evolved with the native people that were here. So right around the same time that we're recording this episode, you've written a piece for our website and it's on, it's a one hour birding in Olympia. So we're not going to encourage people to go to joint base Lewis McCord. I just, you know, I, but I do want to, before we go there, I do want to ask, cause this is actually, so you, are you actually going out into the artillery impact area and looking at the, the birds habitats? Sometimes. Yeah. Um, so most of the work that I have been doing has been kind of in those like off still on base, but, um, not inside like the actual barbed wire fence part of the base. Um, and so I still need access. I still have to call in whenever I'm out there. Um, I still have to, you know, be on the up and up with the, you just don't show up with the United States military. Um, I just don't have to go through the gates. Um, and so no. we do a lot, of, a lot out there, but then we also monitor birds on the airfields, which is a crazy different ball game. Um, and then sometimes we do go out, um, onto the artillery impact area. It's a little bit trickier because we need, um, there's <laughs> unexploded ordnance out there. <laughs> so we need to have, um, an explosive specialist escort us there. Okay. Um, and they don't really have a lot of personnel to do that. Um, and I would say it's not a priority <laughs> and it, yeah. Oh. So it's just, it's difficult for us to do it out there. And so we're kind of limited by what we can do. And so we just kind of try to do what we can quickly and efficiently, but we're not really, nobody wants people walking around the artillery impact area. Well, and that's why I was kind of leading that question is I, I really, I'm glad to hear that you're not walking around, you know, with unexpected, you know, undetonated ordinance or they're going to be using the impact area that day when they're out, you know, researching. So you do have, you are guided or you have somebody with you that's trained in identifying um, things to look for that are bad to step on, if you will. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, um, you know, you're always on your a game when you're out there cause you don't know what's going to happen. Um, I've been, I've had to leave areas because, so JBLM also, if there's any bomb in the area or any bomb scare or supposed bomb, like, Hey, my great grandfather died and we were cleaning out his basement and he has this grenade in there. What should we do with it? That kind of thing that like surprisingly happens more than you'd think. Um, mm -hmm. JBLM goes and they pick it up and they have a special car that they drive it in and then they'll take it out there. And so I've had to leave areas because they need to detonate something which is 
crazy. And, and it's always weird. Cause they're like, Hey, we need you to leave the area. And we're like, cool. Where do you need us to go? And they're like, Oh, well, I don't know. You just need to be like a thousand feet away. We're like, okay, cool. But where are you, <laughs> where are you detonating this? What is a thousand feet away? <laughs> a thousand feet from where? <laughs> Please be more specific. Um, yes. But then there are some areas that are it, called ground clearing where they go through and they like go through with, I think, I don't know this process, so I might be getting this totally wrong, but in my head, they go around with metal detectors and they like find anything that could be unexploded ordnance and they, they set it off. So, okay. All right. Once again, we're not encouraging people to go. Don't do do it. So let's transition into bird watching or birding for the layman and ways to get started in this and places to get started in this. And we're going to reference your capital lake article. Why did you pick Capital Lake? Um, I wanted to pick something that was accessible for people of all fitness levels and um, like for all types of bodies, mm-hmm. um, which Capital Lake, I mean, it's hard to find places that are, are good for like mobility aids. Um, Capital Lake has like pretty hard packed gravel but it's not like gravel gravel it's like kind of Mm -hmm. more of a pea gravel um, and it's really hard packed underneath and so it's it's doable for wheelchair users it's doable for strollers um and then another big thing is that it doesn't have fences like you know you go to certain places and they have like the waist high fence or something Mm -hmm. with the slats that run horizontally um and you can't if you're like from a seated position, you can't see through those. Um, and so that kind of limits people's ability to bird in those areas. If you're using a wheelchair or something like that, for example, um, it's downtown, so it's accessible by bus also. So you don't have to necessarily drive. It's Mm -hmm. kind of walkable if you live sort of near it. Um, and it's just, there's good parking around it too. If you wanted to, you know, if you were, driving towards it and you can yeah. park and walk around too. So yeah. And parking in Olympia is free on the weekends. I always see people from out of town trying to pay the meters on the weekends. You just laugh at them. It's okay. No, I, I say, Hey, psst. parking is free. There you go. Secret. One of the things that we, when you were initially, when we initially started having conversations with you is this, um, your desire to get the word out about, birding and making it accessible to a broader uh, audience. Mm-hmm. Capital Lake's a pretty broad audience. Anybody can go walk around there and all that. What else though? Help us out. Give us, give us a couple to three beginner tips for somebody who's just now going to start to pay attention to birds as they're meandering around in their life. What's three, you know, three beginner tips that you've got for us. Um, that's a really good question. I mean, birds are cool cause they're everywhere. Um, yeah. kind of a big thing when I started is that you just like, look at all of the birds. Um, because you, you do, you have to train yourself. Like you're not going to just step into this and be, have the observation skills that you necessarily need. Um, and so just like taking a second and just looking at a bird and just watch it and, and kind of just notice things about it. Like 
um, notice the proportions of its body. Like, does it have a chunky head? Is it kind of stocky? Does it have long legs? Does it have short legs? Does it have a pointy bill? Does it have like a stout bill? Um, things like that. Colors, like, um, if it has any distinctive colors, you know, where that is like, oh, it has a stripe on its head is the stripe, you know, above its eye, below its eye, through its eye, um, things like that will really help. Cause then you can, you know, you, you'll start to see the differences between the birds and you'll kind of see, you know, if you watch birds long enough, you'll see like, oh, these birds are always on the ground or these birds are always in a bush. And so then you can kind of use the process of elimination to be like, oh, I saw this bird. It was kind of funky. Um, I think people don't always realize how much context like helps. Cause I get like pictures from my friends and stuff where it's like, Hey, what's this bird? And it's this like super zoomed in blurry <laughs> picture of a bird, which I love this game. This is my favorite game. Um, okay. cause it's almost always a Robin. So it's like a real oh. quick slam dunk for me. Um, <laughs> but like a big thing is that it's like, I need, I need to know a little bit about this bird or if they don't have a picture, you know, someone will be like, Oh, I saw a Brown bird. I'm like, okay, great. All birds are, <laughs> all birds have some brown. <laughs> um, but you know, like if you just tell me like, what, what was it doing? Where was it hanging out? Um, like even those kinds of things can be really helpful. All right. But we don't always have you around or you probably don't want us all sending you pictures of birds on your phone. So we don't have that resource. You know, you're not the, you're not the encyclopedia here. So what sort of resources could beginners have to find some of the answers themselves. Yeah. So if you're old fashioned, um, and like a good book, there's a lot of good field guides. Some are better than others. Um, my preferred field guide is the Sibley guide to birds of Western North America. Um, I think David Allen Sibley is a really cool guy. And he has another cool book that he just put out, um, called how birds live, I think. Um, and that's really cool. That's kind of designed more towards a beginner who's just like interested in birds. And the first few pages are just fun facts about birds, which is really cool. Um, and then the Peterson guide to birds of North America, maybe specifically Western North America. Um, that's a really good one too, especially for ducks because it shows side-by-side comparisons, which is really cool. Um, but if you're not super into books, you can get, it's called Merlin. Um, it's an app you can get on your phone. The Cornell Lab of Ornithology puts it out and you can, there's like a tab where you can go to likely birds and it'll use your location and the date to tell you what birds you're likely to see in that area ranked by like most likely to least likely, which is kind of a cool tool. And then they also have a photo ID feature. So if you take a picture of a bird and like make it fill the box thing that they give you, and then you put in your location and the date, um, it'll give you a list of like what it thinks that bird is. Um, and so that's super cool. And it's actually pretty good if you use it the right way, which sometimes people don't use it the right way. And they're like getting these crazy birds for, you everything's know. a Robin. How come? <laughs> no, it's like, it's like, um, it's this crazy European bird, but it's actually a Robin. Oh. And it's just cause you did like, didn't put the location in or something. Um, gotcha. But you know, it's, it's technology as we've seen today. It doesn't always work the way it's supposed to. Well, to me, it sounds interesting. It sounds like, you know, the artificial intelligence that they've got, you know, the 
behind that's kind of kind of creepy. You know, big big bur- big brother, big bird is watching you. Um, you can <laughs> you can um, you know think about that. You take a picture of a bird, send it to the app, and the app will come back and say, well, based on where you say you are, and it, it frankly the app could figure out where you are because your phones will tell you anyway. Yeah, and it will. You can. Just click. Yeah, so you know, you use the you know use the GPS feature on my phone. And it goes, oh, you're you're at Capital Lake. Click. It's it's February. That's a duck. Um, you know, it, kind of fascinating. I had no idea that. I had no idea. That's kind of cool. Approximately, and it's a random question. Approximately, how many varieties of birds are in Washington State? So there's a website, if you want to go super nerd, um, there's a website called eBird, which is, yeah, which is, um, also the Cornell lab of ornithology. And it's a place where you can go if you want to be judged. (laughs) That's not true. (laughs) It's a, it's a large database for, um, bird observations. Basically the idea is that you get a bunch of birders and you, collect their observations. And then you get to know kind of how these birds like their abundances and then their geographic locations. You can kind of monitor spreads that way and trends. Um, you know, if some birds are having really good years or really bad years, declining, increasing, what have you. Um, and you can also look things up like by region, okay. for example. And I think Washington state I'm not going to give exact numbers because I don't have them in my brain right now, but I think Washington state is around. It's between three and 400 species that can be found in the state of Washington. That's all. That seems low. Um, I mean, it's relatively, I wouldn't say it's low, but it's relatively, you know, you go to a place like Texas and you're going to get, Six, seven. So I guess for context, there's about 10,000 species of birds in the world. Okay. That would be my next question. So thank you. Yeah. And then there's, I think it's like 770 is the current um, estimate for North America. Oh, so almost half the birds in North America can be found in Washington state. Yes. Okay. So we do have a pretty diverse collection of birds throughout the state. It's okay. I had no idea. I I just think they're all, I just think they're all, we have, I have a bunch of quail outside my office here and I, I, every bird looks like a quail here. Um, So what's your favorite bird? That is a big question. And it's a question I get asked a lot and it's a question that I've never had a good answer to. Perfect. I'm glad I asked it. <laughs> um, I mean, I just, I love so many birds for different reasons. Um, like I love kingfishers okay. because they're just always kind of around. They're like good, good buddies that I see all the time. Um, okay. <laughs> and they're funny. I love anything that's like funny looking. I love the goofy birds, like the shoe bills. Okay. Um, that's worth a Google search. Um, just anything like kind of big and goofy and kind of dinosaur looking. Um, but then on the flip side, I also really love, I'm a, I'm a real fan of sparrows. Um, 
mostly because no one else likes them. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, as, as we're talking here, I'm, I'm doing a quick search because I'm trying to think of the name of the nature preserve in the Tri-Cities area. Um, I want to say it's Mc, um, McNary. Yes. Yes. That's a good spot. I, yeah, I was, uh, I was doing some research for something and it came up and it's a massive, um, chunk of land mm -hmm. that's been dedicated to that. Have you ever been out there? I have not been to McNary because, so my dad lives in Eastern Washington. I pass McNary all the time and I always want to stop. But at that point I'm just trying to, you know, either get there or get home Dayton or bust. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, I mean, that was something that popped up in our, in, in my radars. I, I drive past it a lot for, for work too. And, um, I did a little, little digging and it looks like there's a massive amount of variety available mm -hmm. there. And from the highway, if you drive past one day, I, I saw, I think I saw some pelicans there. I don't know. Do yeah. we have pelicans? Yeah, we do. Yeah, I, mean, I was, I was like, what? I thought, you know, I, pelicans, I think of like Florida. Yeah. I don't think. So there's like, um, so some, some of the street horn lark work we do, we do on the Columbia river. Um, in cooperation with the army Corps of engineers because they dredge the Columbia and then they have to dump the material somewhere. And so they have these islands in the Columbia that are just dredged material. Um, and then after like a couple of years of this dredged material sitting there, some plants start to come up and then the larks really like to nest in there, which is a really long explanation, but going there to study the larks one time, my coworker who runs it, she took me to see this pelican colony it's like a whole nesting colony of pelicans, <laughs> which are the biggest, silliest birds. And it was the, like seeing that many big, silly birds at one time almost killed me. Yeah. They're very, very odd looking. Creatures. Oh, and they do that like weird thing where they like stick their neck, they stick their heads down and then their like spinal cord comes through their weird pouch bill. <laughs> Okay. Right you should watch now. a video. Let's talk, about, let's, talk Rob, let's talk about Robins again. Okay. Just moving right along. That's just kidding. All right. We're going to kind of, we'll wrap this up because I actually did hit the record button this time. So we can, uh, <laughs> but I'd like you to, okay. So you've, we talked about Capital Lake. We're kind of talking about beginning birding interest, you know, getting people interested in there. Give me a, three spots in Washington that you think are underrated for bird watching underrated um i think our prairies are very underrated people okay. only seem to go visit prairies when there's like a rare bird there um and so specifically um mima mounds natural area preserve it's a dnr um spot in little rock it's publicly accessible it's a good little spot um and what might we see there if we went there? So in the summer, you'll definitely see some Savannah sparrows, um, which are little brown birds with like some little yellow eye shadow. Um, they're very cute. They have like a very nice song. Um, in the winter right now, actually, you can see a lot of meadowlarks, which also have a really nice song. Um, and then I believe they're there in the summer, too. Okay. Um, in the fall and winter, there's also short-eared owls which are super fun. They're kind of like 
we always think of owls as being super nocturnal, but the short-eared owls will come out kind of like around, like kind of just before dusk and they'll start hunting. So you can go in broad daylight and see them. Um, it's like any of these open areas are pretty cool for raptors um, just because it's easy to scan around the ground and see if there's any good snacking. Okay. So that's one spot. Um, that's one spot. Um, I mean, there's a lot of like good little in city park type of pockets. Some aren't so good. Some are super good. Like, um, I guess near me in Olympia is mission Creek park, um, which in the winter, it's not very good birding necessarily, but in the spring and summer, there's like so many hummingbirds that place is lousy with hummingbirds. Um, and then they have a lot of warblers. That's kind of usually where I get my like early season warblers. And there's just enough diversity in the habitat that you can kind of get like, there's like some nice deciduous stands in there. So you can kind of get more deciduous preferring species. Um, so that's a good spot. There's also this park that I went to in Tumwater that I had very low hopes for, but it turned out to be like the best we, so my coworker and I, well, he's my friend. My friend and I went there for what's called a big day, which is about the dorkiest thing anybody does. Um, but it's basically where you go out for a day and you try to see as many species as you can just in that one, like 24 hour period. And so we were doing a big day and we went to this park just thinking like, oh, okay, we'll check it out, whatever. Just stop by because we're in the area. And then it ended up being super cool. And there was like this retention pond type thing that had all kinds of ducks and geese. And then there were um, Townsend's warblers, which are really pretty, um, like kind of winter warblers for us. They're bright yellow with um, black stripes. Um and then a Lincoln sparrow, which again, I love sparrows, the browner, the better, the less there is to see, the more I like them. Um, yeah. So kind of back to my favorite bird, I've been working with Vesper sparrows, which are about as brown as, as you could get. Um, mm -hmm. and I love it. I love, I love brown. I love small brown birds, small brown birds, small brown okay. birds. That, they just do it. For that's me. your quote. Small brown birds, small brown okay. birds. Big day. I, I, how? Okay, you piqued my curiosity. You, you, you just so you're telling me that. Let me see if I let me see if I understand this. So you get a 24 hour period. The goal is to see as many different birds as you can see. Mm -hmm. And are you competing with people? Is this for bragging rights? <laughs> I mean, what? What's the? What's the? I mean, it's geeky. That's cool. I mean, we, 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 we appreciate geeky. So, but what's the, I mean, is it a competition? Is it, is it a good natured competition with people? Yeah, I would say the definition of good natured is, <laughs> is debatable. Okay. It's good so, natured. So is it, cutthroat? it can be cutthroat. Some of these right, sweaters so do don't know, play. <laughs> so how do I know that you weren't lying? Oh, and you said, I saw oh, a pelican and I'm like, yeah, no, no, you didn't. Yes. What, what so proof this, do you have? This to is have? where you go to eBird. <laughs> and you put yourself out to be judged by bird police for the record. I love eBird. I'm a big fan. All of the reviewers are so great. 
I'm not trying to get blackballed by eBird right now. <laughs> Please don't blackball me on eBird. Um, so you can have, you can take pictures. That's the, probably the best thing you can do. Okay. Um, and so I do my darndest, but it's inevitable. If you see a really cool rare bird, it's probably the day you forgot your camera or your battery died or it's raining and you don't want to get your camera out. Um, and so I end up with like these really terrible phone pictures that just kind of show the silhouette of this cool bird that I'm, I swear I saw it. Um, and then you, you describe it really well. So that's where like these observation skills come in where you just have to like really describe exhaustively no such thing as being too specific, exactly what you saw, what it was doing, where it was, how, you know, it's that thing and not the thing that looks similar. That's more common. Um, and so that's kind of what it is. And then, I mean, there's, there's some, there's a beef in the birding world. I won't pretend. Um, and so there's some, like some, some is so big. It becomes this like national thing in these birding circles where, okay, let's go fully into the nerd rabbit hole, but you can also get eBird alerts, which will tell you all about the rare birds. There are also some podcasts about, um, like national rare bird alerts, AKA nerd alerts. <laughs> and it, it tells you like, if there is a bird that is commonly found in Panama, no, that's a bad example. Cause that's where a lot of our birds go. There's a bird that is commonly found in Asia that mm -hmm. finds its way over here somehow. And it's like hanging out in California or Florida okay. or whatever. Um, it'll send out this like email list. And so there have been some occasions where people will report something that's just like way too crazy. And then it gets scrutinized. There's like different levels of how rare a bird is. And then I think mm -hmm. if it's like super duper rare, then you essentially like you have to really back it up. Um, and then people will actually go out and also try to find it. And then they can corroborate your story. All right. I can make a lot of jokes here. Kind of like this is like live Pokemon Go it's or something. It's too like easy. That. There's too many okay. jokes. So, okay, but back to the big day. Have you participated in more than one? Yes. <laughs> okay. What was the most you've ever seen in a day? Oh, not to brag, but... So there's, there's also, so there's global big days and national big days, um, which again is put on by eBird. Um, it's pretty much as close to a Bible as you get in the birding community. So our eBird tells us what's up. Um, mm -hmm. so on, I think it was global big day in May and then they usually do another one in October. Um, me and two of my bird friends absolutely killed it <laughs> so we did a thurston county big day which you can do you can do a state big day people do big years where they're doing it like on a national or continental level people some people with so much free time do world big years where they will travel wow. the whole world and try to see all of the birds um but we just did a thurston county big day and we got 94 species and this was in may wow so that's pretty cool considering like uh not a lot of ducks 
around that time, like no shorebirds really. And so it's mostly um, like warblers, sparrows, raptors, owls. So that was really cool. We did really well. That's a lot of, that's a lot of different birds in the day. Yeah, it was exhausting. We had to like stop halfway through the day and take a nap. And then we met back up. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Birding is exhausting. Okay. <laughs> You can, but the great thing about birding is that like you can make it really hardcore um, and do big days and things, or you can just like I have some bird feeders, and so most times I'll just sit here and I will just see what passes through. Um, mm-hmm. And I will also say like when I first started out birding, I looked at big days and stuff like it was the stupidest thing I'd ever heard of. Which so I get it. If this all sounds crazy to you, we know. <laughs> it is crazy, but you just kind of like, I don't know. It becomes easier. Like the more you start to do things, the more it becomes easy. And then like, it used to be hard for me to get the motivation to get up and go birding. Cause I was just like, Oh, I'm just going to walk around and like carry a bunch of crap and you know, it's going to be cold and whatever. But now I'm at a point where like, that's, that's what I want to be doing. Okay. Well, you bring up, you bring up the bird feeders in the yard inviting them to come, you know, give them a reason to come and hang out at your house. So you can attract more than you would if you were inhospitable. It's true. Right. Yeah. So you can, you can, if you wanted to get started in this pretty easy bird feeders, pretty easy, inexpensive, really easy way to do that. I think most of us probably have hummingbird feeders mm-hmm. at our houses. I mean, you know, that seems to be kind of, you know, and they're always, <clears throat> They're kind of showstoppers when they show up. They're fun. I will say yeah. uh, just a quick side on hummingbird feeders. Don't use red dye. Only use cane sugar. Pure cane sugar. Not organic. Nothing natural. Really? Yeah, it has um, magnesium in it. Iron? Okay. Magnesium? I keep going back to geology. Yeah, I, know. I don't, a lot of I don't know geology. Um, but yeah, so the pure white cane sugar is the safest thing for hummingbirds. Dyes will kill them slowly. Anything oh. like any, um, any of the like molasses byproduct of cane sugar cane, um, will also kill them slowly. Okay. So there's, there's a good takeaway for um, our listeners. Yeah. And then, so a lot of people I know also like live in apartments and stuff. Um, so I actually have these bird feeders that stick to the window. Mm-hmm. So I live on the second floor. Um, I didn't have a place in like a yard that I could put bird feeders. So I just have these stick on, I have stick on hummingbird feeders. I have a stick on suet cake feeder. Um, and it's actually really cool because I kind of find that birds feel safer coming to a higher up bird feeder because they can like hang out and there's not predators. Right. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Now, the cruel thing to do is if you have a cat just staring at them on the other side of the window. That's better than having a cat in your yard. I would say if you have a cat that is indoor-outdoor, maybe don't put out bird feeders. Right. Because you're just setting your cat up with a really nice buffet. Yes. yes. Our cats are indoor cats, and they, they find it fascinating to sit in the windows and watch the wildlife at our house come, come through. Do they chatter at them? They do. I love that. They chatter at them. My dog watches, but... They actually chatter at the deer that come through, too. Oh, they're going to get them. 
Yeah. So, all right. So if people wanted to send you photos of birds, no, I'm just kidding. Nobody do this, but where can people find you online or what, you know, let's wrap this up with, you know, how could people contact you if they had, you know, questions or if you've sparked their curiosity or, you know, they want to invite you to the next big day. Um, yeah. So I think as I've displayed today, um, I'm not the most technologically savvy millennial. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm the one that didn't hit the record button a couple of times. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's me. I cursed it. Yes. Um, Cause you're busy trying to help me with my headphone debacle. I threw you off. I threw you off. Yes. Yes. I I'll was take off the my blame. Um, I'm just on Instagram. Okay. Just doing the gram. Um, I don't, uh, I didn't have a dedicated bird Instagram, but it has since become a dedicated bird Instagram. But full disclosure, if you follow me there, you might get some random dog pictures, <laughs> hiking well, pictures. Yeah. I don't know, but. Okay. Well, we'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah, so they, yeah. can, they can go look for randomness. Well, I appreciate you being on here. Uh, even through our technical challenges, it's been, <laughs> it's been entertaining and informative. So, um, I'll make sure, you know, we'll have a link to your article here too. You guys should check it out because it is a kind of an interesting way of looking at something that's around us that we might be taking for granted. You know, I mean, seriously, I mean, birds are around us everywhere and I mean, let's pay a little bit different, a different type of attention to it. It might be a lot more uh, enjoyable for all of us. So with that, thanks for being here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. I'm going to hit the stop button now. Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.